There's a lot to say when buying a new home or car, but only one thing to say that can help you protect them. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. And just like that, a State Farm agent will be there to help you choose the coverage you need, no matter where you are in life. When you need coverage options, your State Farm agent is there to help, on the phone or in person. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash Wondery and use code Wondery for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash Wondery, code Wondery. Welcome to the Nerdist Podcast number 465. It is our second week of At Midnight. Please join us on the Teleovision. We are on Comedy Central at midnight, every night, uh, after Colbert. Uh, a bunch of really great comics coming up that I believe you will enjoy. Uh, this week, Kyle Kinane, Matt Bronger, uh, Roy Scovel, John Doerr, Jen Kirkman, Paul F. Tompkins, Nikki Glaser, Ron Funches, Neil Brennan. So, every night, after Colbert... I say every night, it's really Monday through Thursday. Those are the important nights. Oh, and Sunday too, because Talking Dead's coming back February 9th. <laughs> oh, the whole calendar revolves around my schedule. That's how I see it anyway. Isn't that how you guys see it? Oh, you're just a production of my own fantasies anyway. I would like to thank Stamps.com for sponsoring this episode of the Nerdist Podcast. Why go to the post office still? Why? Do you enjoy beating your soul with a blunt object? Like standing in line at the post office and... Having a park and get attitude from people, and you don't need to even deal with people. <laughs> Just sit from your own computer, print out the exact postage you need, package, letter, whatever you need. Uh, put it on the thing you are mailing. Your mail carrier will pick it up uh, because they are kind, and that is what they do. And then, uh, and then that's it. That is literally it. There's no next step. That's it. Print out the postage you need uh, using stamps.com. They're going to send you a bunch of stuff. I mean, we have this promo that we've had forever going with Stamps.com. You're going to get a $110 bonus offer that's $55 of free postage and a scale to weigh things that you can then ship. So please, 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 before you do anything else, go to Stamps.com, click at the microphone at the top of the homepage, enter the promo code NERDIST, uh, and get this delightful promo offer that we've had for a long time. Stamps.com, thank you so much for continuing to sponsor the NERDIST podcast, which, uh, this is Richard Madden, so if you're a Game of Thrones fans. Um, I just want to say, first of all, uh, there are some spoilers here for Game of Thrones, so if you're not caught up on Game of Thrones, and you would like to be caught up on Game of Thrones, um, I'm going to give you the opportunity to turn this off right. Now I'm going to give you like two seconds, so that should give you ample time to stop this. Um, if you're in a grocery store and this is playing... Uh, then you can throw a, a box of Quaker Oats at the speaker system. I don't know why a grocery store would play a podcast, but I'm just trying to cover any eventuality. So um, here you go. Here's your two seconds. One, two. I can't believe Rob Stark is dead. I mean, look, if you read the books, you probably can believe it. But uh, but still, did not prepare anyone for the crushing blow of the Red Wedding. Um, but uh, it was very sad to see Rob Stark and <laughs> pretty much his entire immediate family go. But uh, I, Richard Madden is an incredibly talented uh, young Scottish actor uh, and, and, and a really, really, really sweet guy. He's in a new show called Klondike, which is a Discovery Channel venturing into scripted programming. Um, it's produced by Ridley Scott. Uh, it starts next Monday, January 20th at 9 p.m. on Discovery. Um, it's kind of a mini-series, and, uh, and it looks awesome. There's billboards for it all over Los Angeles, and uh, it's got an amazing cast. And, and, it was, and I sat down with uh, Richard at the TCAs, which are the Television Critics Association, um, in Pasadena last week. And uh, what a lovely chap! So here we go, the Nerdist Podcast, number 465, with Richard Madden. Oh, the Red Wedding! Why did it happen? Damn you to ice and fire, George R. R. Martin. Now entering Nerdist.com. Man, how are you? Hello. Are you so you're at, we're at TCAs right now? 
I, is it too loud? Oh, you weren't even recording. I was recording here, not the backup. Okay, well done. Well nice. played, Katie. Nice. Um, we're at TCAs, which is essentially the Critics Association. Is that what that stands for? The Critics Association? Yeah. Just. Yeah, I think it's TV Critics. TV Critics Association, which is uh, uh, a several week long where people just come in and essentially hock their wares like I'm on this show please say nice things about it did you do your panel yet? I, I did exactly that yesterday <laughs> <laughs> how was it? it was great actually the panel was great good you know the show's kind of it's so strange you do this show and then you, it's kind of months and months later and you don't kind of know what people are going to think of it and then we had a great panel yesterday really kind of intelligent questions and people seem to really respond to the show and that's like amazing so it was a really good day that's cool. Is it? Was there any type of? Um, was it kind of a steeplechase of Game of Thrones question, Game of Thrones question, Game of Thrones? Where people pretty focused on Klondike now. People are pretty focused on Klondike, which is quite good. I think there's comparisons because you know, in terms of the extremes, because Game of Thrones is kind of extreme environment to film in, but you know, it was nothing compared to what what Klondike was. Klondike was like the most extreme environments. Really? Oh God, yeah. Like we were, you know. Up the top of mountains. When we, when you see us at the top of the mountain, we were at nine thousand feet. When you see, you know, the River Rapids, we were in Category Four River Rapids. It's all real. We didn't use CGI. We didn't have studios. We didn't have warm tents or stuff. You know. I guess that's true. In Game of Thrones, you're in nice tents or a castle. Well, yeah. Well, there's lots of kind of tents. I mean, Game of Thrones. I was in tents quite a lot, <laughs> uh, and those tents were inside studios, which was actually still freezing. But. Um, but you know you could you could still go and um, and like use a bathroom and stuff on Klondike. You know there was you were you were out in the natural world very much. So did uh, was there? I wonder if there was any part of Ridley where there's like, well, we have to put them in the environment that they that they would have <laughs> been in. Were they piercing the Klondike? I think I think it's something that that uh, yeah they wanted to achieve from the start it was something that was as as honest and as true as it possibly could be and uh, we did and we did we achieved that this everything is real everything is uh, exactly how it should have been at the time which kind of helps the the believability of the show I think yeah and, and this is this is Discovery right Discovery is Discovery's this. first ever scripted drama which I think when I first saw I think a lot of people when you first because there's billboards all over Los Angeles. And I see Klondike, and I, di- I didn't, because I'm driving and I don't want to wreck the car, I didn't notice the, in the first second, like, oh, that's right, he's from Game of Thrones. I, I didn't, I thought it was just a documentary. I mean, like, yeah. just like a, di- like, oh, it's about the, yeah. and then you look closer, it says, you know, Ridley Scott, and then all yeah, these yeah, actors, yeah. and then, oh, it's, oh, wow, Discovery's actually doing a scripted yeah. show. Yeah, and they're doing something which is, you know, they have, Discovery have great shows that I, I've watched anyway for, about the gold rush, and um, about, you know, gold diving, people today looking for gold, and so I think it seemed like the best the best option for them to actually take this story, which is American history, something that, that that's a story that's not actually told. And the Discovery have a, an amazing audience. They know what they're talking about when it comes to gold mining. And we've taken this amazing story and made the drama out of it with real characters, people who were actually there at the time. So it's this kind of wonderful mix of factual history and, and, and fictionalised drama, which kind of tells this story in a really intimate way. I've been to Scotland a few times, and I adore it. I was just there last year. And I think for an American to go to Scotland, you feel like, oh, I'm in a country that has centuries worth of history. Mm. But then you do something like Klondike, and you realize that in North America, our history doesn't extend back that far. And so you're essentially telling a story of a time that wasn't that long ago when we were establishing our culture. Mm. Do you like coming to a place that's so new or do you like being in a place like Scotland where you really feel like my roots are here and they've been here? I, I don't I know. It's, it's not as simple as that, I don't think, because it's it's that kind of universal, you know, aspect of, of human nature and going and discovering and and starting up on something. That's what this story's about. You know, there's, there's so much of that in America. It just happened more recently than it did in Scotland years and years and years and years ago. What part of Scotland did you grow up? Uh, Glasgow. Oh, you're from Glasgow. All yeah, right. Yeah. I was. Uh, I went to Edinburgh. I've been to Glasgow once, but um, and I'm sorry for the way my accent wraps around Glasgow. No, it's all right. But uh, what is what is, what is the defining what is the defining thing that people need to understand about Glasgow? <sighs> I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think it's a really. I don't really know how to answer. That. I mean, it's sort of like a it it, it 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 it's 
for people who haven't been there, Edinburgh and Glasgow are a completely different experience. Glasgow's the fun city. Glasgow's the city that everyone who's in Edinburgh is going to hate me and say this. Glasgow's the fun city. It's the one with the really great nightlife, with the culture, with the music, with the awesome buildings. Although Edinburgh is ridiculously pretty, Glasgow's the one with life. So if you if you get a chance in Scotland, I mean, but anyone from Edinburgh is going to give you the exact opposite <laughs> argument to this. It's like an age-old argument. But with Edinburgh, it's, it's sort of strange because you go, oh, this is where they built on top of the poor people people and they used to dump buckets of shit off yeah. the side on them like you can see the you see the layers of the history because mm. it's just basically a it's like a rock it's yeah just, it's a massive rock and they just kind of built up and built down that's what's so great about like august uh, fringe time is sure. festival because you get every building just turned into a theater space or a comedy space or a bar more likely and uh, and you get to kind of see every bit of the history of it have you done the fringe festival oh I, I go every year i try and see as much as i can have you performed in it no i've never performed there no i'd love to perform there actually do you want to do com- Do you ever want to do more comedy stuff, or do you have any comedy background? No, definitely not. <laughs> That's terrifying. <laughs> I think dra- I think dramatic stuff is more ter- I think dramatic stuff is more terrifying because if you're not authentic people go haha that's that's the challenge but then you can kind of commit to something and I find it much easier to stand on a stage in front of 2000 people playing Romeo for example <laughs> than I do kind of standing in uh, in a room like yesterday the TCAs in front of 50 people that's like terrifying to me well Strange. the TCAs listen if you can if you can get through the TCAs um, then you're pretty much fine because it can be a tough room, and it's not, that the, it's not that they're not engaged. It's just that they're all reporters, so they're writing down everything that comes out of your mouth. It's so really, you're not connecting with them like you would a regular audience. No, you come out on stage, and as Sam Shepard was saying this after the panel yesterday, because you come out on stage, and the lights are quite like blinding on you, and all you can see in the audience is the little Apple logos from everyone's <laughs> laptop. So you just got a, a sea of Apple logos, and you just everyone's typing away, and you just think, oh, they're not listening to They're all on eBay. They're like <laughs> tweeting. They're not doing anything. Thing. Actually, no, they're, they're reporting. They're reporting live what you're saying, but you just kind of think, I'm just not being very interesting because they're just all looking at their computers. They're shopping. Well, you're also you're also really under a microscope, and any you know when you're a comic, you just say a lot of offhanded things, and you know someone said. Why are you, you know, what, what do you think makes a comedian? And I go, oh, well, we're all broken inside. And then I saw on Twitter a bunch of people said, I'm broken inside, Chris Hardwick. I'm like, oh, no, out of context. I hate. Yeah. Hateful. <laughs> you know, when you condense a new 140 characters, what's, I mean, you have to be really. Danger. But as it, but, but. From the comedy side, it's so, that's so you have, it's so much easier because I I we have leeway. If we say something ridiculous, they go, "Oh, oh, he's a comic." But as a as a as a serious dramatic actor, do you feel that you have to be very careful about what you say? Mm, I suppose so. I, I don't really kind of think about it unless you know. I don't really have any very controversial kind of views on things so I, I don't really worry about like slipping up on 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 saying something because it's not like I'm really racist and like having to watch my mouth do you know what I right, mean right right I, I don't really have anything nasty to say at the moment <laughs> do you ever do you do you long for a show that does not take you to the middle of nowhere you're like oh I'm just shooting the show in London it's in the middle uh, of town I'd love to I, I'd really like to shoot a show that's in a beach bar in Hawaii, <laughs> it's about a gorgeous volleyball team. Something like that would work really nicely. For you could me have next. been Desmond on Lost. That's what it could. Be. You could have. You could have been on Lost. <laughs> no, somewhere something hot next would be nice. Something something hot and tropical next. Yeah. I mean, it's you know, uh, I'm a huge Game of Thrones fan, and uh, I. A lot of people's hearts were completely shattered by what happened to you on the last season. And I I knew, I had this, I knew it was coming. I was in the back of my head, oh, this is probably, and then what had happened, I was like, wait, that's it? What what the fuck? How, how, what's that? Yeah. I mean, mean, it's, you know, like Rob is a character that everyone loves and was rooting for and really wanted to see. I mean, obviously, if you read the books, you know, but if you didn't, you really wanted to, you really were rooting for you. I know, but that's the thing about Game of Thrones. All the good guys get killed, don't they? It's just the bad, <laughs> deceitful people that survive. <laughs> they really that's do. not true. No, like, um, my, my brothers and sisters, they're still alive. Yeah. At the moment. What? <laughs> well, it's, that's a really, um, uh, it, it's a thing that television has now that it didn't used to have, which is um, they'll just kill off main characters. Oh, yeah. Because it's, I, I think, 
for people, there's so much competition to, for people's attention now mm. that if you're watching a show and something really traumatic happens, it's almost forcing you to watch the show when it happens so it doesn't get spoiled for you the next day. So that you have to watch it like in real time and keep up with it. Well, yeah. I don't know. Yeah, there's that. Uh, and there's things like... I think it's just more real life. I think that kind of this time of of kind of like fairy tale endings and predictability. We've we've done it. We're bored with it. We're over it. And so something like Game of Thrones or something like Klondike is, you know, is more real life that people, you know, well, I hate to say that, but like people get killed. Uh, but yeah, they, in real life, people get killed. people get killed in um, real life. But yeah, there isn't. You know, it doesn't. Formulas don't work anymore. That's what I think is so exciting about drama at the moment is things like Game of Thrones, things like Klondike. Is there are, the formulas don't exist? You're kind of making something new, and it's keeping people excited and interested. When you read, when you first read the script for mm. the, the the Red Wedding, did you? Uh, were you sad or were you, did you go, fuck yeah, that's an awesome, what a way to go out. Yeah, that's the one I did. <laughs> I was like, oh yes. Uh, and I just knew what the director was going to do with it and it was going to like be absolutely a, a total slaughtering and it was. <laughs> and then what was the, how much of your life was that show? How many years, like how long, how much time it did you spend? It was like f- five years. Um, since I first did the pilot and then we went back and reshot the pilot and then we were greenlit for the season you know and like, so it was like a five year period so it was like a big you know intense period in my life I, I saw my on screen mother and brothers and sisters more than I saw my real life mother and sisters you know that's that's kind of what was really strange about it they were your family because you film six months a year and you're, you're that's your whole life so it was an intense period but I knew I was going to die at that point and, and that you know to have I kind of say, like, have the secret of you were going to die for years. But, you know, it was in the books. And if you Google it, you'd find out. But on the same hand, you had to keep it quiet. So I did. So it was kind of, it was like a nice big relief at the end to go out with such a big bang and for it to hit home so hard. Because you're like, yeah, I've invested a lot of my life into this for five years and it it paid off. Are you able to watch the show? Yeah, I can't wait to watch the show. I'm so excited to see season four because I don't know what's happening now. Because usually I'd read every episode and you reread it all and all and all. So, like, you know everything that's going to happen. And now this time, I'm, you know, oh, oh, my friends are still, like, I've got lots of friends still on the cast. And they're like, oh, dude, I've got to tell you about season, season four and episode seven. There's this. I'm like, don't tell me anything. I don't want to know. I want to watch it like everyone else does and just see it fresh. So now you're on the I'm other side of the spoiler curve. so Kurt. excited to see what's going to happen next. Yeah. And then how much, what, what, was, what was Klondike? How, how long of an experience was that? Um, it was like 55 shooting days. But I don't know, it's like three and a half months or whatever, you know, since we kind of got there and started prepping and, and working on it. It was a really intense shoot because it's you know it's a it's it's a three-parter it's over three nights but you know we we kind of game of thrones you you start something you you shoot over six months and you kind of fly in and you fly out and then you have six months off and then you go back and shoot for six months whereas this was like we prepped we worked we had lots of source material to pull from and then just like immersed ourselves in it and got on with it you know got got up the mountain started shooting and didn't stop until we'd finished do you want to spend more time in america or do you want to go back to to england or where 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 i live in london and I love London. It's like it's my city. But yeah, I'm happy. I love you know. I'm in a lucky position. My job gets me uh, to go to different places and learn new things and spend mass amounts of time, like I did in Canada for Klondike. So uh, I'm happy to travel and see the world. Do you have a next thing already that you're working on? I, d- I don't have anything at the moment. There's a couple of things, but I don't have anything lined up. And then, so does this mean you're going to go home and relax and try to I'm, just be a normal Londoner for yeah, a while? I'm going to. I'm. I'm going to go somewhere hot for a while and, <laughs> that would uh, not be london right now it would not be london no i think yeah yeah i'll go down into europe and stuff like that it would not be most of this country right now yeah. i mean like you're in a short sleeve shirt today and i know it's tropical most of the country right now is is chipping themselves out of an ice block it's absolutely tropical here i fly to new york tomorrow and i'm going to be miserable because this has been so nice in the sunshine oh you are yeah uh, oh it's yeah. new york though i can't be miserable because i love new york no no new york's a great a great town but it's still a pedestrian culture so you still have to be cold getting from place to place. Yes, it's cold. <laughs> <laughs> Hailing cabs, oh, yeah. walking from bars. Um, what is it, uh, how, how do you discover, it, it, like, what is the art scene in Glasgow like in terms of fostering, a, you know, someone who wants to pursue acting or, or any of the arts? 
I was really, I was really encouraged when I was younger, which was really nice kind of thing. Well, like my 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 high school didn't have a drama department. I had to go to another school two days a week to go to drama kind of thing. But I had a kind of an amazing youth theatre called Pace in Paisley, um, which was for for kids who were really into to drama, and that that was kind of my my step into this whole world. So it was encouraging. You know, it's a kind of thriving, it's thriving up there. Yeah. Um, for young people especially and was it when did you know like this is something that I need to go do when I was about 17 I think because I'd been acting I I did my first film when I was like 11 years old and did it for a while on a TV show and stuff and then I stopped for a while and then it's like when you're in high school and you know you've got someone telling you you need to pick a career you need to decide what you're going to do the rest of your life and I was like Oh, I need to do that. That's what I need to do, and and they wouldn't they wouldn't let me just do that. So I had to apply to do computer science as well because they're like, you never get in drama school, and if you do, you'll never get a job as an actor. And I was like, all right, okay. And then I did get in. So, but to, in a way, I almost feel like they're doing you a favor when they do that because I think that sort of weeds out the people who are not committed. The enough. people who aren't committed because yeah. because if you really are committed. It shouldn't matter if someone says, you can't, you can't do this. Do you can go, oh, okay, yeah. I'll figure out how to do it anyway. Yeah, definitely. But then I also think there's other talents that, that you know, there's other people that are really talented that need encouraged that, that sometimes don't have it. What does your family do? Um, my dad was in the fire service for 30 years. Oh, he now wow. runs a couple of businesses. And my mum was a, a classroom assistant. Oh, was there ever any, uh, you should go into the fire? No, not at all. Not at all. Um I think I would have liked if I don't get into acting, to be honest. I probably would have done. <laughs> really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's really cool. Do you think that, uh, I mean, if your da- is your dad like a, ca- is he a captain in the fire service? Or? No, yeah, he was, he was pretty high up in the fire service. But, you know, he was, you know, a fireman at the end of the day. And that's where he started off and did for years. Do you feel like there were any values that you were able to take from that and apply to this other thing? Uh, every time I go into a hotel I check for my emergency route oh, nice. <laughs> which my dad <laughs> built into me from my when I was a kid uh, and it's one of those things that you know it's just he saw so many really tragic thing happens in hotels when people don't know their escape route so that's something that is like OCD built into me that I now do every time I get into the hotel I know where my escape route is and how to get out I wonder you know a job like that where you're you're risking your life Every time you go out and you're saving people and, and sometimes it's tragedy happens, mm. does that – I feel like people can either fall one of two ways. They can be completely splintered emotionally because that's the worst things that you can see mm. and then have to take home. Or some people it really strengthens and gives them an appreciation for life. Yeah. You know, do you, was, where, where did your dad fall in, in that? My dad's like a rock, so it must have been the strengthening thing. Yeah, he's a solid, solid man. So, yeah, I think he, he dealt with all that really well. Oh, that's good. That's good. And they were pretty supportive when you said, I'm going to go Absolutely, yeah. yeah they, they, you know, they were the ones that kind of drove me around to all my drama classes and theatre things and doing pantomime every Christmas and auditions in Glasgow. And Yeah, they, they were always really supportive. I'm very, very lucky to have had them. Does drama school prepare you for what it's like to shoot? I mean, I know they can prepare you for... Here's how to access, you know, here's how to discover yourself and here's how to open. But can they really prepare you for something like Klondike or Game of Thrones where it's three o'clock in the morning and you have to pick up a sword and set it on a table three times and say no. the same things 50 times? No, and- definitely not. I think they kind of, um, I managed to, I, was, I ended up working and leaving drama school about halfway through it. Um, you know, which was, you know, my choice and my drama school were really supportive for that. And, you know, I still kind of graduated and stuff. And, um, but it was more about the life experience of drama school for me. First time in my life that I was surrounded by people my uh, own age who were serious about this. It wasn't just a hobby at the weekend or something. So drama school was much more about getting together with, I suppose that's like anyone going to university, you get in to be around people that are as excited and interested in the subject as you are. You, you really discover your tribe, like, yeah, for the first time. Like, absolutely. oh, these are, these are my people. Absolutely. Uh, is there anything uh, else that you, like, what, have you really thought about? I mean, I know you sort of joked about, I want to do a beach film and just live <laughs> on the beach, but are, are you looking at all the different types? Of, you must have a ton of opportunities right now. I mean, coming off of, with between this and coming off of Game of Thrones, there, there must, you must have things that you can do if you wanted to. Yeah, that's the, you know, there's things around, but I, I kind of... I I always like to try and 
do things that, that, that push me and challenge me in different ways, not just like, oh, I don't know if I'll survive that because it's up a mountain, but just in terms of as an actor, I kind of, I find a script that um, if I don't know if I'm a good enough actor to portray how I see that character, then that's the kind of, that's the script that I need to pick up and, and try and do um, because I think that's how you, you kind of improve as an actor, is you're pushing yourself every time. You know, I played Romeo when I was when I was younger and then I think I kind of played a couple of similar to Romeo type parts after it and very quickly realised that you, you mustn't do that if you're going to kind of get better at your job, you kind of need to keep doing things that push you to get better. So that's what really drives me when I pick up a script or, or when I'm considering my next job is, is um, um, if I'm good enough to do it or not, and if I don't think I am, then that's the job I try and take. Well, that's interesting because you, you're—I think you're in a position where you could play leading man roles if you wanted to. But is that interesting all the time, or is mm. it more fun to play like a weird, fucked up m- murderer guy? You know, like—is it? Are you like how much do you balance between? Oh, this feels good for my ego, but this feels really good for my art. I never take the ego into consideration. That's far too boring because you know, kind of as you just said, you know, at, at three a.m. when you're kind of having to put that item on the table nine times the exact same way, you're like, my ego doesn't mean anything right now. So I need to really care about it. Like with Klondike, you know, when you're, uh, you know, you're on take nine of of throwing yourself into the river rapids and being sucked down and feeling like you're drowning, you know, like you're definitely not thinking about your ego. You're thinking about like, why am I telling the story and what am I doing? So that's what always what drives me. Who do, who do you look at as as role models? Like who whose career do you look at? Maybe someone who's had like a fifty or sixty year long career, and you go, "That's what I want to. That's who I want to be." Oh, there's loads. I mean, there's endless actors. I think actors like Dustin Hoffman are outstanding. I love watching Mark Wahlberg and Matt Damon. Like, I I just love the choices. I mean, look at like Matt Damon doing Behind the Candelabra, and you see it's an actor that keeps changing. Uh, keeps pushing themselves. I think you know those are actors that I kind of really enjoy watching and 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 hope to have kind of careers anywhere like theirs would be amazing. And you're you're still you're still young, so you it's I'm almost jealous of how much opportunity <laughs> is. You're like 27, right? Yeah. God damn it! Come on, man. <laughs> come on. I mean, it's mm-hmm. you, you've just you, you really you've just kind of. I mean, just I know you said you've done stuff when you, since you were 11, but you know. Game of Thrones is like seriously planting a flag and then now you have this and then and and you're only 27, you know? I mean, you have every decade you can play a different type of a guy. Hopefully so. Hopefully I can lots of opportunities that will make me be better at telling stories. Do you ever envision a time where you go, oh, I think of yeah, acting's all right, but I'm, I now I want to go do this other weird thing. No, I'll be doing this my whole life. You think so? Huh? Definitely. <laughs> do you, uh, what does your day look like, you know, when you go back home, you go back to London and you don't have to get up and go anywhere? What do you do? How are you with free time? Uh, I'm generally quite bad with free time. Um, but then I push myself to kind of, I'll, I'll just, I want to try and, I like try and learn new skills. So like usually when I, you know, I've had great things like on Klondike, I had dog sledding that I had to learn in my free time so that I was good at it. On Thrones I had to learn, horse riding and stuff like that. So I read a lot. You have to read a lot as an actor, you kind of strips coming in, but um I'm learning to ride a motorbike at the moment. So that's taking up a bit of my time and I want to go touring with my dad around Scotland and down in Italy on my my motorbike and I, I just bought him a bike so hopefully we're going to do that this summer that's so incredible I'll work towards that that's really really fun how, how old is your dad? 60 oh he's 60 years old yeah. he's still good so he's still you can still stick him on a motorcycle he's and get him around throw him in a Harley and off we go oh that's so that's so great I, I really I, I appreciate that I, mm-hmm. I think uh um, I lost my dad last year and we spent a lot of time together and you know we had a good relationship and I, I will always these are moments that I can tell you that you they're going to be better and more cherished than anything else you can do and you're oh that time we just went and did this absolutely you know do you have a do you have a route planned yet? No, not yet. We want to go over and down like um, the coast in Italy, uh, and you know my mum and dad spend a lot of time down in Italy in the summer anyway. Um, so we want to kind of jump on our bikes and go and do that. And also, I want to see the coast of Scotland properly, all up the the northwest coast because I've never really done it. You know, I've kind of seen bits of it, but we've never done that properly. So we're just hoping that you know summer in Scotland lasts about four days usually. Um, so <laughs> Quick, we're, we're, hoping, we're, we're hoping we're hoping to kind of pitch it right at those. Four Four days. <laughs> uh, 
I'm so jealous of the I'm so jealous of the culture too because you can I mean I've I've driven around Scotland and you can be seemingly in the middle of nowhere and then you find some old inn mm. with you know a pub the size of a bathroom yeah. and then like the same two people have been going there for their entire yeah, lives with great whiskies <laughs> absolutely yeah I love Scotland for that I mean it takes I remember that like when I was younger and kind of realizing like the, like our local big supermarket that we go to and every time you come out of the supermarket you just see the mountains like all around you and you're like this is really strange because it's like really modern and plus just ultra nature uh, scotland's absolutely beautiful country i'm kind of lucky to have that and it's you know that's what's so good is you can like you drive 30 minutes out of the city and you're in the absolute most beautiful countryside in the world how do you keep from getting too comfortable what do you mean i mean you know, I know you said you're not so great with free time, but when you're working a lot, it's very hard. Like, it's hard for me to slow down. But mm. once I do slow down, I kind of start to feel like, oh, this isn't so bad. I don't have to. I can just be still for a minute. And then if you start to get too comfortable, then it's very hard to adjust back when you get when you get busy again. I get bored too easily. I need stimulus all the time. So I think that stops me from getting comfortable in any time of like, you know, when I do something like Klondike and you know like really work yourself so hard you need a bit of downtime I actually didn't really have the down. I'd, I went to Ibiza for a week and then went to Glastonbury <laughs> <laughs> that was my downtime um, so I, yeah I don't really uh, I get too itchy to 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 learn more and to, to keep acting and doing things to, to worry about that at the moment hopefully that will continue how's Glastonbury? awesome is it amazing? oh this is so awesome yeah I went with my director from Klondike actually and we uh, we had a blast did you, did they, do you have like a special pass or do you just go like, just uh, like? Well, I, my, my, yeah, well, uh, f- my director has, um, his uncle runs Glastonbury. Oh, okay. so, well, there uh, you go. <laughs> so we had a special pass. That's a really, pretty sweet way to go. <laughs> but you see some of the, some of the crowd shots from Glastonbury, it's just like tens of thousands of people. Oh, yeah. There's just no, like, you, it takes you like hours and hours to walk places, but that's part of the fun, you know, you kind of, you just kind of pop into lots of different atmospheres and groups and places and music it's great is there any part of is there any part of it's like i want to do that i want to like i want to perform i want to be a musician i want to be because a lot of times you see like actors or comics will want to be rock stars and then rock stars will want to be the opposite like it does happen a lot doesn't it i i i have no desire um and i have no musical ability sadly (laughs) um because i'd love to be a rock star that would be quite cool uh and lots of my my friends are musicians and stuff and uh, and i kind of i love that that creativity but no i've i've not got a desire to be in a, a band yet well what kind of kid were you in school were you fat kid what <laughs> come on it was massive yeah i was a really fat kid i did this tv show <laughs> when i was young and they fed me so much <laughs> and i wasn't used to eating all this food and then i wasn't going out to play because i was filming all the time and um and there was this wonderful invention called the PlayStation. And uh, and that kind of took over my life. So I turned into a really fat kid. <laughs> <laughs> what were you playing on PlayStation? Uh Everything, all those Resident Evil games, yep, yep, uh, and Crash Bandicoot, and Crash Bandicoot, stupid things like that, yeah. But you know, Resident Evil was like a big one, and all your kind of Call of Duties and f- shoot 'em up ones. Do you still play? Do you still play any of the first persons? Um, not. I just don't have time to. I still quite enjoy it because it's total escapism. You can't like you don't think about anything else when you're playing it. It's just we. I remember being in, in drama school, and, and me and my friend used to play computer games because you know like your weeks would be intense with script work and stuff like that and so it gets the weekend and you play computer games for hours and then it started getting quite strange because you're walking down the street and you're kind of imagining a really good wall to hide behind to get a shot and <laughs> you throw a grenade and you're like no I can't and my brain's warped by it. I must like pipe down and not play some have you ever been to Venice games. Yes, Venice is exactly like that to me. Where every time you turn a corner, you're, you're like, like, "There's yes. a whole other street, <laughs> and then there's a hidden thing, and that's a whole other square." And like this fucking city is crazy. Like you exactly. just expect the zombies to come out, exactly shooting. <laughs> it's the per- Venice is the perfect first person shooter setting. Venice, that's we should arrange that. That's what'd be good if you did a Venice paintball. Oh, wouldn't that be awesome? Someone has to have Destroy done that. Destroy the city. <laughs> <laughs> total fun though I mean right with paint you know yeah, it's yeah. an old city it survived Venice paintball 
That would be absolutely 2014 Venice Paint. That would be amazing. <laughs> Do you? Uh, so, so you said you're this. You said you're a bad kid playing PlayStation. At what, what point did you go? Maybe I should um, not get into shape and stop. Uh... Um, I didn't want to be the fattest kid at drama school. I still was, and then I got a play um, where I had to be completely naked on stage, and I was like, okay, right, it's about time I sort this out now, and so I did. What was the play? Um, it was a uh, uh, Franz Xavier. Croats play called Tom Fool, this German writer, but it was in a studio theatre, so it was about, you know, about the size of this room, um, which is not very big for people who are listening, uh, and you could get about 90 people in the audience, and so I was like, I can't get away with being fat on stage when my character's not supposed to be fat. <laughs> Nothing wrong with being fat, but my character But if wasn't. your character's not, yeah. Yeah, exactly. You know, if my character's supposed to ride a horse well, I need to learn how to ride a horse. If my character's supposed to be thin, I need to be thin. And uh, what was the... Did you rehearse naked? Or did you just say, I'm just going to do it the first time, I'm just going to do it in front of people and just, like, jumping into the water? This is so funny. I've never spoken about this. Um, because <laughs> I, just, I, I just absolutely got a flashback from the first time that... Um, because, you know, you're not, unless, like, it's uh, it's a lover, you're, you're actually never naked in front of other people. Why would you be naked in front of other people? Right. And then I had to do this. And I I remember we just rehearsed and, you know, I'd like, get down to my box of shorts and, you know, that's fine. You know, as an actor all the time, you just, like, you have to take my clothes off and change costume and da-da-da. And we had this really, like, at the end of rehearsals one day, me and the woman playing my mother, um, we stayed behind. And, um, and uh, uh, the scene... After I, I've been naked, but I'm, I'm, I'm basically putting my clothes back on. And so she sat in the corner facing the wall <laughs> and I got naked and we ran the scene, just the lines, but without her looking at me so I could be comfortable with being naked in the room or something. And actually it was the worst idea because there was nothing, it was more uncomfortable. Just like, I felt like a bit of a pervert standing naked while there's a woman in the corner just like looking at the wall. So that was the kind of first and last time we did that and then I said, I'll just save it and I'll just do it in the dress rehearsal and then did, and then did it every night. Well, I mean, it's, I, I think... You this, this, there's this extra layer of, all right, I'm supposed to not be in my own head about this thing, but you're essentially doing something that forces you Absolutely. to be really in your head about, you yeah. know. You're very aware of it. You're, you're telling the director, make sure it's not too cold in the theater. <laughs> just like, keep it warm, please. Just please keep it warm. What can we do with lighting to really help me? Yeah. <laughs> is it, it was prosthetics? <laughs> I mean, it, I think once you can kind of do that and be comfortable, I would imagine that anything after that is like, oh, well, it's, at least it's – I mean, that – being naked on stage in front of strangers and having to remember lines mm. is potentially one of the most horrifying things that most people will ever think about. But actually, it's when, once you're in it, and when, you know, I, I never, I, I, I tend not to get naked for jobs unless it's absolutely necessary. Like, if there's a scene where, you know, because if you're lying naked in a bed with your partner, you talk in a different way. It's a much more intimate situation so that, you know, scenes can only sometimes um, happen in an environment like that, mm-hmm. that, that lines and people would say certain things. And, you know, for that play, it was it was an extreme event that happened that, you know, forced me to have all my clothes taken off. And you're, you're not aware that you're in the situation as an actor naked on a stage, really. You're just aware that you're playing a part and this is part of the story. Unless your mum and dad and gran are in the audience. (laughs) Should they come see? Yes. (laughs) In which case, you're aware that you're naked in front of your mum and dad and gran. Did any of your friends come? I mean, like all of them. And they all gave you shit afterwards. Yeah, yeah, of course. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. And but it sounds like I don't know. It it sounds like you. I don't sense from you that there's a lot of. I don't know. Like you seem pretty confident. Like you seem you seem comfortable with yourself. Like you seem pretty comfortable with yourself. Were you always that way? No, no. This is all a massive act. Is it really? <laughs> <laughs> I was not comfortable with myself when I was twenty seven, and I I feel like only now am I just starting to feel like okay. I guess this is who I am, and being comfortable in my mm. skin. It's only because I'm drunk just now. Oh, is it just now? Yeah, <laughs> I'm kidding. Yeah, no, it's fine. Listen, it's it's only it's afternoon, it's so afternoon. It's, it's fine. It's totally fine. I don't think anyone's gonna. I was going with this event. I don't, I think people would be like, no, no, let him drink. It's gonna be. It's gonna be totally fine. But is uh, you know what? What is your kind of internal monologue about 
you know, when you're facing things that you're not comfortable with? How do you break through that wall? How do you how do you force yourself to go out on stage, you know, naked when you know that your parents are in the audience? Like, what is, what where do you go to? If I'm telling a story that's worth telling, essentially, it's the same with anything. Like, um, you know, with with this job, you put yourself in extreme situations a lot of the time, and if you can justify that with telling a really good story or something that's worth telling or it's having an effect on an audience that would only happen because of the action you're seeing then it's absolutely worth it it's that it's not a it's not a, a kind of a, a sacrifice in my brain or anything like that I'm, I'm just I've committed to something and I'm telling a story so I don't have a problem doing it are you I, I don't I, I hadn't noticed that you were really that active online do you, I'm not. You're not because you're right in the age range of people that you I mean you were essentially grew up with the internet. Yeah. You grew up with with digital. You grew up with web culture. So th- how did you sidestep that? I thought Facebook would just be a phase and it would pass. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, I just never did it. I just don't engage in any of that. I kind of don't like that um, that instant f- f- kind of accessibility. Or I mean, the internet is great. It's not the internet I have a problem with. I don't have a problem with facebook and stuff like that i just don't have a desire to um to kind of put my own life on the internet a lot of the time i think you know this is a job this is a profession that you know that gets probed enough of the time that i don't need to be encouraging it online and and i i you know i think there's things like twitter can be really interesting you know i i follow people on twitter and read very funny things and it's great for news and stuff like that but i really just don't I don't have anything very interesting to say on Twitter, so I'm not going to do that kind of thing. And, you know, I've also got the fear that if I did a Facebook page, I'd just spend hours and hours looking at pictures of other people's dogs and stuff. (laughs) That's what you do with the internet. I just don't have time for that. (laughs) There was a video going around Facebook yesterday where it was Australian and a puppy in a backyard was playing around with a bird. (laughs) And they were wrestling food out of each other's mouths and the bird was poking. I mean, it was like a five-minute video and the whole time I, I was like oh, oh, oh just enthralled and then the bird would get its back and kick the puppy in the face and the puppy would like knock the bird down but you won't get those five minutes back <laughs> never they've been robbed from me forever exactly but in the, and that is you know especially if you I mean, if you know, if you have a personality where you could get addicted to PlayStation or you could get addicted, really, you really do have to manage that shit. So that's what I do. I stay away from it. Do you, are, is there any part of you that's prepared or you know, like, I mean, you're pretty famous now, and that's probably just going to keep getting bigger. And the more you know, if you are private, you know, like, how do you? Has that changed how you interact with people socially? Are you aware, like, oh, anything I say, someone could tweet or um not so much um uh you have an awareness of how drunk you are when people ask you for a picture (laughs) (laughs) and you go how many drinks have i had and is this going to be a mistake when they tweet it and now i'm like drunk and can't stand up um which really happens um so you know that's the only thing i have an awareness of is just going uh you know, it's so funny. I speak to other actors that are in TV shows and stuff like that, and you can, you know, they walk into bars and they're like, oh, they feel like awkward because everyone knows them, and and you're kind of like, no one has actually noticed that you're here, and you you only do one TV show, so like no one actually knows you. Um, and then there's other times where you kind of get in, you go in somewhere, and you 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 feel really comfortable and you're fine, and no one recognises you here, and then you suddenly realise that like three people have got their camera phones out and they're taking pictures of you like with pasta all over your face or something. <laughs> uh, so it's, it's a kind of warped, weird thing that I think you mustn't kind of pay attention to otherwise it can really start to like get into your brain too much and restrict your life and and there's no point in that. I mean, it is it is sort of the strange blessing and curse that comes along with just wanting to tell stories and be a performer. It's like... You know, I mean, obviously, you know, some people just want to be famous. Mm. I think actually most people just want to be famous. <laughs> um, but uh, but also, you know, how do you how do you tell what do you use to judge whether or not you're doing a good job or how do you how can you tell? Do you do you look for external cues or is it something you feel internally to know if you're if you're hitting it? It's a kind of uh, it's a constant kind of yourself self analyzing. I'm you know I'm in a job where if I'm not theatre so much, but you know with television and and film stuff is that I can engage and commit to a performance and then watch it back and and see how my work's progressed and if I'm achieving what I'm thinking, 
and what I'm trying to. So that's how I, I, I kind of try and improve and, and work out if I'm getting better at what I'm doing or not. How, what, what is it you think that you really, like, what in your head, what do you think you need to work on? Like, what are, what are the things that you say, like, oh, I wish I could do, be more of that, or I wish I could do more of that? Like, what do you, what do you, hmm. what do you strive for? I don't know. Everything, everything, everything that I, I've I keep doing is like things that I don't don't know if I can do or not. So uh, there's nothing like specifically. I'm like, oh, I really wish I was better at. I can say actually from Cinderella, I really wish I was better at dancing because I had to do so much dance classes to do like the dancing I had to do in Cinderella. I had to dance so much, and I thought like if I had done if I had gone to those classes at drama school, which were like teaching you how to dance properly I would not be spending every like six hours of every Saturday in a dance studio in London <laughs> really just trying to make it just, as seamless as, as seamless just as trying possible. to look as if I've been dancing my whole life because you know it's the same as horse riding in Game of Thrones I needed to look as if I'd been doing it my whole life and and you know Prince Charming I had to you know make sure that I looked as if I knew what I was doing so yeah that's something that I could have improved on i think now when people you know i'm sure when when the rest of the world looks at you and like oh he's so he's so dreamy and charming (laughs) and handsome (laughs) like do you do you do you get a sense of that at all or do you go i don't know what you people are saying like how how do you what's your sense of yourself (laughs) (laughs) self-loathing but you know you joke but i feel like that is a common thread among all performers there's a certain amount of there's a certain amount of like yeah well i think there's that i think most importantly is you can't It's like why I stay off the internet and why I don't read stuff like that is that you can't, if you take one, you've got to take the other, you know, so if you, if you read that review that's really brilliant and believe it and go with it, you need to also believe that review that's really awful and take it to heart just as much. So for every, you know, person that's like, oh my God, I really love his hair. There's like 10 people going, I hate his hair. So (laughs) the worst hair. You can't, you can't like buy into any of it too much at all. So I just try not engage with it. Yeah. And then not think about it. When you're working, do you pretty much just stay in a bubble and and just focus on the work or are you able to at the end of the work day leave it at work and then go relax no no i think i i just stay in it you know i'm not like a method actor that's not my kind of thing but I, it just takes up all of my focus and i want to give it uh, my best every project i do so you know i can have my my downtime where i go to Ibiza or glastonbury or you know go back to scotland and see my parents but when i'm working i'm i'm working and that kind of engulfs my time and my mind and i think um especially with subject matter that's things like like what I've just shot with Klondike which is history and it was real characters I think it's um, it's uh, inappropriate and kind of insulting for me not to give it my all when it's coming down to things that are other people's real life what do you think is um, what do you think is the most attractive quality about a person not, not just romantically but like you know, if you see a performer, you see someone who, from any field, like what 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 quality do you think is is a really attractive quality to have? Commitment. When people commit to a decision, uh, I love that in a performance. When people commit to how they're going to play something or commit to a scene and what their objective is in that scene or whatever, I think that is something that's you know because that's scary to commit to something and it might be the wrong decision that you've made. I think I have that as an actor all the time when you go, I've come committing to this is what my character feels about this situation and it might be wrong and you could be very easily talked out of it and you know that's you know and sometimes you have to be and that's good but I think that's something really attractive is people making bold decisions and committing to them and sticking to them yeah and then so who else you mentioned a couple people you know you mentioned Matt Damon it's like are there any sort of like senior actors where you go someday I want to be that guy there's no one I want to be but there's 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 actors that I really appreciate watching like Philip Seymour Hoffman and mm-hmm. and Dustin Hoffman and so all the Hoffmans all the Hoffmans anyone is a Hoffman <laughs> I love your work uh, yeah there's lots of actors that I kind of appreciate their performances um, I mean we could go on and on with lots of them yeah um, do you think do you ever think you could tackle like a romantic comedy do you, do you ever look at it and you go you know I think I could do it I think I can make a romantic comedy like really solid I think I could really bring something in, maybe in- yeah I'd like to I, you know that's something that would be good is to actually make a, a really good romantic comedy uh, I've not read any really good romantic comedy scripts lately uh, but who knows yeah maybe I could do something like that it'd be a different challenge it'd be something different to anything I've done so far would you be fine if if someone said, "Look, you can be an actor the rest of your life, 
but we just want you to do theater. Would you be fine just doing theater, or does does television or film? Well, I mean, like Game of Thrones or Klondike is more like a film. They shoot more like film. Is that, or it, or do you do you have a preference to that medium? No, I don't, because each one informs the other. You know, there's things I learned from doing theater that I could never learn on camera, and there's things I learned from being on a film set that. I can take into the theatre, you know, they're, they're, I find them, you know, camera acting and stage acting, like, two very different forms of the art, and they inform each other quite a lot, and I think you must try and keep the balance of of dipping into one and into the other and transferring what you learn from, from one medium and putting it into the other place. I think that's really important. I think that's something that kind of teaches you to be a better actor overall. Um, something I don't do as much as I'd like of is um, is radio drama. I used to do um, quite a bit of that when I was younger and uh, I was up in Scotland. I used to do radio plays and that's something really special because you can play things that you would never be cast in in real life. You know, you, 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 know, you can play much younger or much older than you are because you're just using your voice as the tool. So that's something I'd like to explore because... It's, uh, your voice is like, really important and that's an uh, extreme raw medium to practice in. Yeah, and it, and it really, it, the entire craft is just, you can't cheat with your face, you can't cheat with anything physical, you, you, have, to, you have to convey an entire performance mm. with just, a vo- voice acting is, um, yeah. is, is incredible. Yeah. We don't do that, we don't have a lot of that in the States. And like, Radio like, plays and stuff. Yeah, we don't really have a, I mean, you know, are there any radio plays on NPR really, Katie? I don't think so either. It's a, we don't really it's crazy. we don't really have the that sort of that died out for us. Like once television came along, then the, the rest of the country was like fuck radio. Like it was just totally just knocked it out of the it's way. It's so strange. Radio is still so massive. It's like so in, in the UK especially. There's so I mean there's there's brand new new writing from new writers with amazing actors every single week on British radio. Big actors as well. It's, you know it's you know because you can go in. It only takes you two or three days to record a full length radio play or you know a six part miniseries on the radio. It's a really great medium actually. It's a shame you don't have it, but you can tune in to like BBC Radio Four. Yeah, you could be well with the internet now. Everything's available all the time. Exactly. Every time. Um, it, would you ever feel like if you weren't if you weren't getting the kinds of challenges that you needed in the business, would you ever go create something? Absolutely. That, Absolutely. I don't know. I'd like to write. Uh, it's something I've kind of been um, dabbling with a bit and hope to kind of spend a bit of time doing um, over the next few months, start kind of getting into writing a bit more because I think, you know, I read so many scripts and um, as like all actors do, you have to read lots of different scripts and that's really informative, but also you read lots of things that, that, you, you, that don't stimulate you or don't challenge you and I don't really think I have a right to complain about things like that if I'm not writing myself or, or trying to in order to appreciate how, how hard it is to write something that is challenging or entertaining or or honest um, so that's something I want to try and do. Do you have any idea what kind of a story you want to tell? I'm, do you know what I like? I don't know what kind of story really I, I'm, I'm really fascinated by extreme situations and how human beings react because I think that's where we learn our most so I'm much more interested in that than like romantic comedy nothing nothing you know like there's nothing bad about a romantic comedy you know there's stories to be told there about love and and passion and all those things that are are great but I'm kind of much more interested in these um kind of end of the world type things when the only things that come into uh your mind the only things that tend to matter are, are family food shelter heat like the important things matter not all the bullshit not the cell phones or facebook or mcdonald's you know it's like it's the the really important things and it's looking after each other and i think that's what fascinates me that's what that's what drew me to klondike because it's the most extreme situation in the world where people it's life or death and uh, and that's the kind of stuff that that fascinates me about human beings. When you see them in those extreme situations, people can't can't lie. You know, the honest human nature comes out, and whether that's like animal and vicious, or whether it's honest and uh, and goodness and generosity. So that tells a lot about character. Yeah, when there's just a, when you're just in survival mode, it changes what. Um it changes your value system, and it, it comes into you bring into question what the idea of of right and wrong is, and good and bad. Mm. Am, am I just is it right just to protect my family, or is it right to protect 
a, a community? Mm-hmm. Is it is it okay or to in order to feed my family? Is it fine for me to kill someone to right. take their food because I need to feed my? You know, that's these are like extremes that um, that define people. And Klondike's like that. Klondike, you meet these different peoples in these extreme situations and it's how they react in those situations that define them and something fascinating about this which drew me to the the project which is different to all these a lot of sci-fi films that we see are end of the world type stuff where you know everyone's out for themselves and and robbing and killing and i mean we have that in klondike you know there is no law up there there is murder there is violence there is greed and uh and ambition but there's something fascinating about human beings when they share, when they have nothing, when they are kind, when they have no reason to be. That's that's what really fascinates me because that's what separates us from animals. Have you ever written anything before long form? No. I think you I, I'm I'm predicting and I don't even know you, but I'm predicting <laughs> that you'll love the shit out of it because I think you know, you may not even know how you actually feel about a situation until you write about it mm. and then stand back and go, I had no idea I felt this way about Absolutely. survivalism or the human human nature and it mm. just it, being able to, to express that. Absolutely. Do you think, uh, I, well, you, I, listen, some people listen, a lot of people listen to the podcast. There might be someone who would say, hey, I'll, I want to option that thing. Would you, would you immediately want to know that it was going to get produced or do you want to just have it for your, to yourself for a while? Uh, what, like a story or a, a piece? Yeah, yeah. Would you, in other words, would you, would you want to be doing it for someone else or do you just need to do it a couple times just for yourself? Yeah, I think, you know, I, I've, I, I read a lot, but I don't write a lot. So I need to, uh, I need to, I need to write to work out if I can do it or not and if it, my stories are worth telling and I think that's something you've got to do I mean I can get on stage literally naked in front of lots of other people but I couldn't show anyone something I've written not at this stage you know I'd find that much more exposing so I think I'd have to just kind of go off by myself and, and, and work on on that project for a while before I even thought about getting someone else involved. It's funny how incidental our uh, the, the, our physical bodies can be. Like, oh yeah, this everyone's got yeah, one of these. It's just what it is. But to really let someone sort of peer into, you know, no, this is this is really this is who I am. Oh yeah, that's exposing. Because you're really the most vulnerable. Like someone could just someone could just look at your body and go, ha, ah, that's ridiculous. Yeah. But 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 to actually expose yourself to someone to potentially be ridiculed for yeah, who you are absolutely but that's a lot of what you do though when you're when you're when you're acting i feel like yeah, that's true as well yeah. i mean they're all fat i mean you know rob is a facet of you and mm-hmm. the, the klondike is a facet of you and every it's charming like they're all facets of you mm. in some way mm. how you're expressing the world yeah yeah i suppose you kind of but then you're acting, not being. And there's a big difference there. You're not kind of, you're not, you, uh, parts of you are in every character, I think, and there's parts of every character that are in you. And But there's, you know, huge things that, you know, that, that, that Rob Stark possesses that I don't. And there's, you know, lots of things that I possess that Bill Haskell wouldn't understand. So although there are elements of you and exposing, at the end of the day, you're, I don't see it in my head as as Richard playing Bill. I just see it as Bill, a separate entity to me, which can be quite weird sometimes because, you know, the lines kind of get a bl- a blurred between you and and the character. You know, when I was doing Klondike, I stayed in, in the American accent for what, like just over three months. I didn't come out of it. And you kind of realize that I spent more time saying words that someone else wrote and speaking in a voice that isn't mine than I did speaking in my own voice for... For most of this year, I've done that. Actually, I've spent, I've I've said other people's words during the day more than my own, and I've spoken in a voice that isn't mine most of the time. So it's kind of it's really separating. You need to kind of work out what parts of you are in something, what parts aren't, and and separate them. But you can only really do that after you've finished it. Did you when you go home and your friends or family do they give you shit? Can they tell that your accent's been affected a little bit? Oh, I mean, absolutely. When I moved down to when I moved to 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 London in the first instance and. Uh, and I've been down there for a while now, so I know I know pronounce my consonants, which I never did because in Glasgow you can just speak in vowel sounds, and uh, yeah, you don't really need consonants. So now when I go back to Scotland, you kind of get, oh, you, you sound English. Um, <laughs> but when I was down in England, you know, people wouldn't understand what. You, so you, you, you're, my accent, I didn't deliberately change it. It's just that you, 
Uh, and it's quite, you know, it's, it's actually not that different to when I was was younger, but moving, you know, down to England or even coming to America, you know, it gets really, you, you don't want to have to say everything three times because right. people don't understand. So you just start um, articulating better. And talking really slowly. And slowing down. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, hitting all my consonants. You could, you could do, an American in Scotland is like to, around... Actual Scottish people. <laughs> what did? What was that? What you, I didn't. <laughs> oh yeah. I like there were some shows at the French Festival. I was like, why is everyone laughing? No I don't get. What did that guy say? Yeah. Please, or in a I'm bar, stupid. it's just noise. I mean, some of my best friends are American, and even if I get drunk, there's a point in the night where they're smiling <laughs> and looking at me, and they understand nothing of what I'm saying. <laughs> so what? So as we're sort of wrapping this up, I think we're at about. Oh. Oh, we're almost an hour. Okay, perfect, perfect. This one. There. Um. What did you? What's kind of been your favorite take? I mean, obviously, each time you play a character, you're going to absorb something from that character. I just think it's it's natural that you would absorb mm. something from uh, from these from these different guys. So, you know, are there good things that you think you got, or bad things, or what? I tend not to absorb the bad things. I think there's there's things that linger with me, or things that I admire in characters that I've played. Um, you know, a, a sense of like with with Rob Stark, there's a sense of kind of duty and honor and and justice and uh, that that lingers with you. That's kind of really honorable and you know, honorable traits in someone. And someone like Bill Haskell, I uh, think the things that 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 linger with me, the things I've taken is is how to how to be good when everything against you is bad. When the easiest option would be to. Uh, to do the nastier thing, to do the selfish thing rather than the selfless thing. And something I've learned is, you know, you kind of, even though it's a real character and a fictional situation, you you know, I spent a lot of my time being this person and you kind of go, if he can, if he can do that, then, you know, you don't have an excuse not to do that. You know, if he's up against all these challenges and still um, is selfless and kind and generous, then, then you have no excuse not to do that in your own life. Is generosity the strongest? Is that the hardest choice to make a lot of the time? Generosity isn't. It depends on the situation. You know, when uh, when people are trying to kill you, steal you, steal from you. Um, you know, if they, if they want to kind of ruin your life, and for you to to take the higher ground and not turn around and and, and shoot them in the face. You know, that's what my character had to make those decisions in in this piece, and and uh, and they're really difficult decisions to make. Um. I would define Rob as a good guy. I would define mm. him as a good character. You said he was honorable. I think that's a perfect word to describe mm. him. But I also feel like I, I, I also feel like there were mistakes. Like no, no, don't, no. Uh, there's, there's a little, there's a pride. Oh, like what the whole time that you were portraying this character, what advice would you have given to him? Like don't do this or try to do that. Like, if you agree to marry someone, just marry them. (laughs) (laughs) Could have saved all of this. Yeah, just keep your dick in your pants. (laughs) That's a perfect bit of advice. I think it's a good place to sort of wrap it up and let you get back to the TCAs. But um, Klondike, uh, what are the dates Klondike's premiering? It is January 20th, 21st, and 22nd. Okay, January 20th, 21st, and 22nd on Discovery, uh, Klondike, Ridley Scott, and and Richard Madden. And uh, it's been a pleasure talking to you. Uh, Honestly, Tumblr is going to go nuts just with sections of your accent. We find it incredibly charming here in the States. because we're we're very nasally, <laughs> we're nasally and loud, and there's a nice there's a nice r- poetic rhythm to the way that the way that you speak. Oh, thank you very much. I've, it's it's the one accent that I have never been able to figure out how to how do you? I mean, you're it's native to your mouth, but what is what do you think is the defining quality of the Scottish accent? How, well, how do I do a Scottish accent? It's, I always, when I'm doing accents, it always depends on the landscape. So Scotland's all hills and valleys, so that's the 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 the, the accent has that hills and valleys song to it. If you're in London, uh, the streets are like you know they're all curvy up the street, down there, back to here. That's the Cockney accent. It's kind of zigzaggy, or you know, in Northern England, it's really flat, so their accents are really flat. That like Rob Starks is that kind of really flat accent. So if you go on the geography, if you look at the land, a lot of the time it teaches you um, what the accent would look like if it was. Uh, That's fucking brilliant! <laughs> I never thought of that before. I never ever thought of that before. What, what is the equi- What do you think the equivalent in America would be? 
Kansas. Like it's just, <laughs> it's just vast, and <laughs> there's all the room in the world, and you have to shout because there's nothing to <laughs> rain the sound in. And then you look at Los Angeles; it's really kind of spread out and laid back and slow. That's what the the, play, the landscape is like, and that's what the accent kind of. Is. Ah, okay, that's interesting too, because a lot of people in Los Angeles talk up like this. Yeah, and I, <laughs> there's a there's a friend of mine who's a comedian named Patton Oswalt, and Patton has this idea that Los Angeles is not actually a beautiful city. It's people are always talking about the weather. So when they say LA is beautiful, they're really they're usually looking up. Yeah. So maybe it's people are looking up when they're talking like this maybe. because they're not just staring at the buildings. And in Glasgow, it's raining all the time, so everybody's got their head down like this, and it's really back of your throat because your head's down because it's raining. You don't want to get wet. I never thought of that before. That's fucking genius. Oh my god, this is. I am going to annoy so many people with a bad Scottish accent from here on out, and it's totally Richard Mann's fault. So he's Sorry. he's not reachable on the internet, so you cannot. <laughs> complain to him so you will have to just aim your rage at me uh, but it was a real pleasure talking to you man thank good you luck with everything thank you really really nice to meet you uh, oh we tell everyone to enjoy their burrito at the end of the podcast it's the way we sign off but it's going to sound much better coming out of your mouth would you please tell people Scottishly to enjoy their burrito enjoy your burrito oh god <laughs> I'm never going to be able to top that alright perfect that was awesome. Thanks, guys. Thank you so much. Yeah. Uh, like, good I fun. I sat in with him for three days on interviews. You're an amazing Yeah, that was great. Thank you for Oh, that. no, no, please, please. He's so interesting. The challenging thing, too, is that, you know, is that you, wanna, you want it to feel, you want it to be a conversation, and then, you, and then you know, like, oh, this poor guy's been asked so many times about this and this, but then, but people this listening. Was this was so different, though. Yeah, this was great. Oh, good. You never are that. Yeah, it was great. So oh, thanks. Thank you. Um, but no, it's not. Then I say kindness. <laughs> I tell him that every woman goes weak at the news every time he says kindness. Kindness. We went to Edinburgh last year and then went to this, ca- just basically stayed in this castle uh, about 12 kilometers outside of Edinburgh. And it just... There's, I mean, there's no experience like it in America. We have no analogous of that old, uh, old, old. old yeah, we're like here's a dent where Oliver Cromwell shot a cannonball <laughs> yeah. into the fucking side of the yeah, castle, yeah, yeah. and the dent is still there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it, it just like there's no, we don't have anything here because we essentially stole this land. Yeah. That there's, you know, that the indigenous people, there's no trace really mm-hmm. of the indigenous people. So it's it's basically this young, you know, some of these buildings in Los Angeles are as old as 1924. <laughs> <You know? laughs> I think that's funny, you know, it's like when I was growing up and I think about it when I'm coming here and just talking from like an arts point of view, you know, when I was kind of doing my high school art projects and stuff like that, I just had to go into Glasgow and there's buildings that are like three, four hundred years old that I can like just kind of draw or look at or go around and you know I think it's still you know we've got so much more to feed on there just from what's around us than you guys have here yeah it's easier for us to to you know be creative when you've got so much like external things feeding in so you know I think it's really it's more difficult out here yeah because I'm sure you come here to the Langwin you go what a cute young hotel and we're like this place is ancient (laughs) it's been here for decades (laughs) I'm like, yeah. this place could do with a refurb. It's like, no, this is historical. This is uh, historical. Okay. This is how this is how the primitive people lived here in the 30s. Like there's the outlets, the old timey outlets. Like, there's no fucking. You go to the castle, they're like, there were no windows. They had two layers of curtains yeah. so people wouldn't freeze at night. Yeah. I felt like such a dickhead being on Wi-Fi in a castle. Like, it just felt. It felt like. I, I don't think I'm supposed this. to be doing this in here. No, you absolutely should. You move with the times. <laughs> I guess so, but there's this giant roaring fireplace, which is the size of ten people, mm-hmm. because they just had to heat an, an entire great hall. Yeah. And then I'm just on the internet, like, <laughs> my fucking Wi-Fi connection. The what Wi-Fi is, is shit in this castle. Yeah, this, oh, how do people live this? How do they live here? You know, you just get so spoiled <laughs> so fast. <laughs> now leaving Nerdist.com. Enjoy your burrito. This episode of the Nerdist Podcast is brought to you by Stamps.com. Go to Stamps.com, click on the radio microphone at the top of the homepage, and type in Nerdist for a $110 bonus offer, including a digital scale and $55 of free postage. That's Stamps.com. Enter the promo code NERDIST. 
Are you tired of dating assholes? Do you want a Prince Charming? If so, we're filming a reality show. Sign up here. 12 American women are flown over to the UK for a Bachelor-style reality dating show. There are so many questions about a show like this because it's so odd. These women have been told that they were going to be dating the world's most eligible bachelor, Prince Harry. What? Y'all playing with me, right? You can binge The Bachelor of Buckingham Palace exclusively on Wondery Plus. Join Wondery Plus in Apple Podcasts or the Wondery app.